You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Beautiful job tonight on that offertory. Thank you, Ms. Colleen, for that. It will be worth it all. Amen? You know, it gets hard and it gets wearisome at times and we get tired and the list is long, isn't it? Sometimes you think about all the things you've got to do and uh, you're just wondering how you're going to get all of it done. Um, but in the end, in the end, the only thing that matters, what matters the most, when we see Jesus face to face, everything we went through, it's all worth it. And I'm looking forward to that. And thankful for that that thought tonight. Well, Luke 11 is where we're going to be this evening. If you would please take your Bibles and let's stand together, and as out of respect, reading God's Word tonight, Luke chapter 11. It's been it's actually I was looking at the calendar. It'd been about a month since we had been in Luke 11 here at the sanctuary on a Wednesday night. And for those of you that have been. Uh, on Wednesday nights, he's been here since uh, the last few months, not in Patch and not in Pee Wee and the other things. Um, then, you know, we've been kind of going through this series on prayer, and I'm not really sure exactly how much longer we're going to do it. Uh, based on the number of Wednesdays I'm missing over the next couple of months, we may be in this for a while. So um, we'll have plenty of, uh, plenty of uh, breaks here as we go through. Uh, but I, ho- I think that, at least for myself, it's been a help to just kind of examine what it means to pray and to take some of these phrases even that Jesus Christ taught his disciples and to see how they apply to us. So Luke chapter 11, and we'll read the first four verses. It says, And it came to pass that as as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray... Say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Words we've probably heard many times in our lives. And when you stop and really examine what each phrase is meaning and what, what I believe is the structure and the point of the structure, it starts to take on new life and it really does mean something more. So tonight we're going to look at a phrase there in verse 2. It says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. And tonight I pray that you'd help me to convey it clearly. I thank you as well for your good people here, uh, that they are so faithful and encouraging in the preaching. I pray that you bless us with your presence and speak to us tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Well, so far in our series on, on prayer, the lessons that we've gone over, for those of you that haven't been here, um, I think we've had four or five already uh, in, our, in our series and we've talked about how to pray. We've talked about uh, that prayer is not about lingo. It's not about using the right words. It's not about changing your voice while you pray. Because some people do that. 
It's not about uh, outward appearances. It's not about doing things a certain way because you've always heard them. It's also not a vending machine. And sometimes we look at prayer like we go up and we push the button and whatever we push, it comes out and there's our request answered. But that's not, that's not how we're to look at prayer. We're, we're, we're to, we also talked about what to pray and that uh, sometimes it's hard to know what to pray and, and what we should say and the things we should focus on. And, and we talked about how our filter for prayer is God's word. And our God's word, God's truth, what God likes um, is what we should pray for and we have to uh, know what God likes before we can pray in a way that pleases Him. And we know what God likes, we know what He's like, and we know His character when we open God's Word. We learn about God, and that helps us to pray as a filter in God's will. Why we pray, we learned about that as well. We can't do the public things until we've taken care of the private things. And it's interesting that the disciples came and they said, uh, they could have asked for anything, and they they could have asked for, for power and they could have asked for the healing touch and they could have asked for the ability to walk on water and, and, to, and to create food out of, of loaves and fishes. I mean, they could have asked for anything, but they knew, watching Jesus Christ, that what made Jesus Christ different was not his power, but it was his prayer life. And that's why when they came to him, they knew what he was doing in public, but they didn't ask for those, those things they knew by watching Christ that what he did in private was the reason that he could do the things he did in public. It was his walk with God. It was his communion with his Father. His private prayer empowered his public ministry. And then a couple, few weeks ago, we looked at our Father in Heaven. And one of the phrases that I used was, there are no middle children with God. You know, the middle child is often the one that gets neglected or forgotten or missed and and I may have used Caitlin as an example, and I'm sorry, Caitlin, you know, now that you're here tonight, you know that, but may have used her as an example, the middle child. I was a middle child myself. And sometimes the middle child, you know, the, the stereotype is that the middle child can get ignored and not noticed, and, and, uh, and that there are no middle children with God. He is our Father. He notices us. He, he's actively concerned with our lives like a good father should be, but he's also in heaven, which means he is to be revered because of his nature and position. And it's a perfect balance you have over here. He's our father. He's close. He loves us. He, he wants to hear our, our prayers. But on the other side, he's our father in heaven, which means we don't come walking up to him and punch him in the arm and say, hey, bro. You know, there's a difference. He's our father. He's close. He's in heaven, though, so he's holy and he's to be revered. So as I was reading, you know, just reading and preparing, I, there's a book by R.C. Sproul, The Lord's Prayer, or The Prayer of the Lord, and it's been a, a help to me in just kind of guiding some of my thoughts. And, and in, in that book, he, he said he would ask his seminary class this question. If you had the opportunity to write a new constitution for the United States, one that contains a new bill of rights, outlining ten declarations what would you choose for those foundational precepts? If you could come up with a new constitution, 10 new, bill of, uh, 10, 10 new rights for the Bill of Rights, and 10 declarations, what would you choose? I thought about asking our kids that question tonight. I would have been interested in hearing some of their questions, you know. I'm, I decided not to take that risk. I thought about asking some adults, too. I'm not quite as afraid of those answers, but... But maybe, I was thinking, maybe a law that protects human life. 
It wouldn't be a, a bad law. Maybe uh, a law that says no property taxes. We're, that's one, By the way, one big change from Oklahoma to South Dakota is our property taxes are much higher in South Dakota than they were in Oklahoma. We're trying to work all that into the budget right now as we're getting ready to buy a new house. And so I would be passionate about that one. No property taxes. No taxes, period. How about that? Um, how about a minimum IQ requirement to work in government? <laughs> that could be one of, very easily one of the ten requirements, one of the ten declarations in this new Bill of Rights. Well, R.C. Sproul would ask his students the, that question, and then he would ask, and he had a point for it, and you'd see his point, if they would consider using one of those declarations to require maybe that parents or that children honor their parents. Would you use one of those declarations to say, well, there's no coveting allowed. We prohibit coveting. He would ask him then if, if any of them thought that maybe you could say one of those rights, one of those a bill of rights in the Constitution would be that it's illegal for someone to disrespect God's name. I can imagine that if I was to hand out a piece of paper and have you write the ten declarations, the Constitution, the, the Bill of Rights, I would imagine probably that if you were thinking of those ten, maybe nobody in this room would have thought, um, I want to protect God's name. Now I'm not saying that we don't think that's important. I'm simply saying that tonight, if you were writing a list, you probably wouldn't have thought of that one. You would have been thinking about things like me, like no property taxes. Or, or education to work in government. I mean, he would ask them, would you have said that? Would you have listed that? And that's a, that's a tough sell in this culture, isn't it? To protect God's name. And it seems like everywhere you go, God's name is disrespected. You go to a restaurant. You can't sit in a booth next to somebody without hearing God's name be disrespected. You, you can't go to the grocery store and hear, hear people have conversations without throwing around God's name in a disrespectful, irreverent way. You can't go to school, young people. You can't go to school without hearing it, probably. You, can't, you certainly cannot turn on the television without hearing it. I mean, we like to watch pretty innocent shows, and we like to watch things like maybe America's Funniest Videos, and it's fun. We laugh at other people's calamities, which maybe that's not a good thing to do, but we like to watch those. But you can't even watch those without the expression every time something happens it's, the, it's God's name. You, you watch any of the, uh, the shows, uh, home decorating shows. This is why I'm morally opposed to HGTV. Because every reveal of a new room or a new house, and there's God's name. So I have right moral, uh, moral ground here. Turn off HGTV. People use it flippantly to express surprise. They use it when they're angry. They use it when they're disgusted. They use it also out of the same mouth when they're happy. Name the emotion, and I can just about guarantee the name they're using to express it. It's sad, and it's everywhere. So when R.C. Sproul would ask that question to those students, he was doing it to make a point. There are some things that are undoubtedly important to God, and we could go to Exodus 20 and see the kind of things that are important to him in the Ten Commandments, but they aren't important to our society. And very often, unfortunately and sadly, they're not really even all that important to God's people. 
Because I've heard plenty of God's people use God's name in a way that's disrespectful. And yet, here it is in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. No denying. Now, I, I, I believe that's more than just speaking God's name. It's claiming God's name and then living a different way. Either way, it's disrespecting God's name to, to say that you follow God and yet to speak in a way that disrespects him. See, our takeaway from this, maybe from it being included in the law, is that God expects his people to recognize and treat his name as holy. It therefore should not be a surprise that Jesus Christ mentions this as a priority in prayer when teaching the model prayer in Luke 11. I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised that it's there, but I don't know that I would have thought about putting it there. The disciples come with this request and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responds with, in this manner, pray. And then he starts teaching them the model prayer. And it's an example of the kind of conversation, the kind of communion that God's children should have with their father. And as we've already seen, he begins the prayer with our, our father, which art in heaven, which is more, really more of a greeting to God. It's more of, of a statement. And then he says, hallowed be thy name. Now, I want you to just understand, and, and maybe even change your thinking about it a little bit, that this is more than just a tagged part of the greeting. See, when many of us read this, we might read the first part of the prayer and say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kind of like, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or we're just saying his name. We're just, we're greeting him. We're just kind of, it rolls off the tongue. We, we just are using it without really thinking of it. We view it as one long sentence, one way to address God and but it reads, which art in heaven, comma, hallowed be thy name. See, the comma separates the phrase. It's not just a greeting. Even though we would maybe read it like this, our Father in heaven, your name is holy. Well, is God's name holy? It is. God's name is absolutely holy. But that's not what this is talking about. See, this is more than an acknowledgement of the holiness of God's name. This is a petition. And a petition, we understand what a petition is. It's a document that's signed by many people or individuals with the hope that it will convince some larger or someone in charge, a governing body, either religious or governmental or a ruling body, maybe to take some sort of action and, and change the parameters or rules. And I mean, if we were starting a petition in Sioux Falls, maybe we would say, um, maybe we'd say, stop with the pothole repair. I use that all the time, I know, but my car is falling apart because I catch all of them. Or we could start a petition and say, you know, 26th Street was fine the way it was, and now you can't even get across town over there. Well, we were okay with that. Whatever the petition is, I don't know, you understand what a petition is. So the simple definition of petition is it's a request. So follow me here tonight. If you're wondering whether or not respect for God's name is important to him, Consider this fact. This is the first request of the model prayer. It's the first petition. Hallowed means holy. It means set apart. It means different than anything or anyone else. And I think we'd all agree in here tonight that God's name is set apart. God's name is different than anything or anyone else because God is different than anything or anyone else. You know, that defines God. He's uncreated. He's, he's, uh, he's eternal. We are created and temporal. Everyone that you see is completely opposite of God in nature. 
God is different than anyone else that we know. And that simple fact alone sets him apart from everything else, from all of creation. See, so our mentioning God's eternal, pure, and consistent nature, and then applying it to his name, it doesn't really change whether or not he's holy. If I say, God in heaven, your name is holy, it's absolutely true, but I don't believe that why this is here. You know, that's, this, this part of the prayer is not just an address, it's a petition. God, hallowed be thy name. God is already holy. He's already hallowed by nature. We're not saying holy is your name. We're saying, Father, may your name be hallowed. Father, may your name be holied. I know that's not a real word, but that's where my mind went. Your name is holy, and where I'm praying, I'm petitioning God, I'm requesting that your name is holied, that it's hallowed, that people treat it as such. What we are being taught by Christ in this prayer is that God's name, maybe we would pray that it's regarded as revered and sacred, that it would be seen as holy. See, looking around in this present culture, would you say that people treat God's name as something sacred? So can you see why this request is necessary? See, we should learn from Christ's example and pray that God's name would be hallowed or treated in the way that it deserves, that it would be treated as something sacred or valuable. So what, is it, what does hallowed look like? What does it mean? Well, start with considering the subject, God's name. And before you think, well, I don't really see what the big deal is. I'm not trying to disrespect God when I, if I use his name improperly. Or my friends aren't trying to disrespect God. And, and I'm not really sure what the big deal is. But before you consider it that way, I want you to consider your own name. I mean, have you ever been, maybe known someone, and maybe this is not good this time in my life because I'm trying to learn some names still. But have you ever known someone who couldn't get your name right? You ever known somebody who mispronounced your name over and over or, or knew you for a long time but could not remember your name? Have you ever, and this has happened to me, have you ever known somebody for quite a while and you called them by this certain name for a long time and they never said anything to you about it? Only to find out later that you had their name wrong the whole time? And talk about feeling dumb. See, how does, how does it make you feel, though, if someone can't get your name right? I know it's not a big deal, really, but you don't feel as if that person views you importantly enough to remember your name. We all want to be taken seriously, but if someone that should know our name doesn't get it right, we don't feel all that special. My children, all the time, and I'm, I'm saying all of their names, trying to get to the right one in the middle of that moment... And I mean, I, a gene, in a genius move, I, uh, I, na- I said all five of their names one time. I said, O-A-J-K-Lacy. O-A-J-K-Lacy. It rolls off the tongue. So when I'm trying to name one and it's not coming to me, I just say O-A-J-K-Lacy. And it covers all of them. And usually the one I'm lingering on at the end is the one that I'm trying to get a hold of anyway. Lacy. O-A-J-K-Lacy. That's where I end up anyway. You know, how much more, though, should God's name be treated correctly? Now, I'm not saying that it hurts God's feelings when his name is not treated properly. It's much more than that. He's not some egotistical king that demands respect or else. When his name is not properly respected, it's not a matter of etiquette. It's not a matter of social appropriateness. It's a matter of right and wrong. 
So God is so much higher than us that there's no other way to deal with his name than to respect his name, which makes the culture's view of God's name all the more egregious. See, network television will censor certain words of vulgarity or or graphic sexual language, but just about anything goes on network television, over-the-air antennas, cable television, whatever, you name it, 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 almost anything goes when it comes to God's name. It goes to show just how lowly the average person views the name of our Lord. And maybe, just maybe it reveals why it's so important that God's people, that means you and I, why God's people need to pray that God's name is hallowed. I think the applications are obvious. We as God's people should desire that the world respect the name of the one who redeemed us and in the same way that you don't want someone to call a person you love a disrespectful name, it should bother us just as badly when God's name is used to curse or blaspheme. Have you ever had someone insult someone that you love? Call someone that you love a certain name? You know, some of us men, we'd say, I wouldn't stand for that. If it was my wife, or if it was my mother, or if it was one of my children, I wouldn't stand for that for one second, and you shouldn't. And yet, we'll turn on the television and allow people to say God's name in our presence, and it just kind of rolls off our backs. And this is one of the things mentioned that Jesus Christ said we should be praying for. That God's name is hallowed. That our culture would see God's name in a different way. And so don't put up with it in your presence. Don't allow someone to just speak it all the time. Let them know you're a Christian. Do it in a gracious way because if they're unsaved, I'm not really sure they even know anything different. So be gracious about it. But don't be afraid to say something about it because Christ said we should be praying for it. Don't allow it in your presence on the television. Don't allow yourself or someone around you to use it irreverently. Parents, our treatment of God's name will set a standard for our children as well. No one else is teaching them to hallow God's name. And I think it's, uh, this is the obvious application of this principle, is that we ought to treat God's name in a way that he deserves. And I could stop right there, and that's enough for us, Honestly. Because you don't hear very many messages on treating God's name and that we pray that God's name is hallowed. But I also want to consider this from a different angle. The principle is clear. I think we all get it. But I want to take note of the context of the instruction here. This is the first request that Christ tells us to pray. Don't forget that. So of all the things that Jesus Christ told his disciples to pray and to, as he modeled it to them... He started with this. So why? Why this petition first? Well, it's not just because he deserves it, although if that's the only reason we had, that's enough for us, that God deserves it. So I want you to think about the order in the prayer, though. And here, follow my line of thinking, and then we'll we'll wrap it up here. Our view of God's name is the first petition. Then we are told to pray, Thy kingdom come, And then we are told to pray, thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. So understand, our view of God comes first in line. And then the rest of the requests are mentioned. 
We can pray for God's work to be fulfilled. We can pray for God's kingdom to come. We could pray for God's will to be done. But those things cannot happen to people who do not respect God properly. I believe that we are instructed to pray for God's name to be treated appropriately first because it puts us in a position of worship and adoration and reverence. We are put in a position of humility before God. That is the first posture in this prayer. And R.C. Sproul said this about the order, the very beginning of godliness, the very beginning of transformation in our lives and in our society begins with our posture before the character of God. All the things that we want, all the ways that we want to be like God, all the things that we want to do for God, all the, the fruit of the Spirit, all of the Christ-likeness that I desire to be displayed in my life, all the ways that I want God's will to work and I want God's will to be done and all the godliness I seek starts all the way over here in my mind as I'm in a posture of adoration and worship. My view of God is the very first step to me praying in a way that God is pleased. It starts with the posture of humility. Your relationship with God and effectiveness for God begin with your view of God. Our understanding of and posture before God comes before we begin asking anything. This request that God's name be revered aligns us properly before we pray for anything else. The first step towards God begins on our knees. As we start our prayer by acknowledging the differences between us and the Father, it clarifies our view of Him and then properly aligns the rest of our petitions. It's kind of like getting a new printer. You ever gotten a new printer? It's a nightmare. And every time you get a new printer, you have to print an alignment page. You ever had to do that? And the first couple pages is just sideways and messed up. But after a few pages, that printer starts working through it. And it starts printing pages that are straight and correct. But if you skip the alignment step, every job is incorrect and off-centered. It's the same thing with prayer. If you skip this alignment step... If you skip this step that puts you on your knees in humble adoration of a God who's so much bigger than you, who's so much greater than you, whose differences are so much vaster than anything you can understand, if you skip that step, then the rest of our prayer cannot be in line because our view of God is not correct. It's the same effect that takes place after we begin our prayer with petition number one. God, may your name be treated in the sacred holy, respectful, reverential way that it deserves. May I treat your name as holy. And may this culture return to the place that the name of God is used only in reverential prayer. Not in moments of anger. Not in moments of surprise. Not in moments of elation. Not in moments of frustration. Not in moments of flippancy but God in a reverential way. 
See, maybe the reason our prayers often go unanswered is because we're, we have an alignment issue. I wonder how much of our prayer life problems are related to our skipping of the first petition that our Father's name is hallowed. Not just our prayer lives. I wonder how much of our daily lives are affected by not making this request a priority. See, if we have a proper attitude toward God's name, it changes everything. How we live for God is determined by our attitude toward him and our view of who he, who he is. No worship, Sproul said, no worship, no adoration, and no obedience can flow from a heart that has no regard for the name of God. This is no small thing. It actually, this might be everything. See, our view of God will align our view of ourselves, which will help us be more sensitive to sin before a holy God. My view of God aligns my view of myself, which will help me to see priorities as either important or disposable, thus helping me to live a life that matters more to God. My view of God aligns my view of myself, which will help me to live more selflessly and make a greater difference in the lives of those around me. My view of God aligns my view of myself, reminding me of how badly I can blow it as a father at any moment, how badly I can blow it as a husband at any moment if I just simply live in my own strength. My view of God aligns my view of myself, helping me realize that following him is the best life, far better than any plans I could ever come up with. And it's all about my view of God. It's all about aligning myself with who he is. And if I simply pray that his name is hallowed, it will do that for me. It reminds me of who he is and who I am. I don't know about you, but I need constant alignments. Every day, probably every hour, probably every few minutes. And the way Christ instructs us to do this, hear this, the way that Christ instructs us to do it is by recognizing God's name which reminds you of who he is, which highlights the differences between you and God, which puts all things into perspective, which helps you pray as you ought to, which leads to a life filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, which helps you live a life that pleases God, which is all we can really hope for. And it goes back to alignment. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When's the last time that you prayed for God's name to be treated as sacred? When's the last time that you on your knees loved your father enough that it bothered you to tears that the culture in which we live throws his name around every time they're upset or angry? When's the last time that you prayed in your own life that you would treat God's name sacredly? from your own lips, from your own mind, because he is a great God whose name deserves to be treated as such. And I hope maybe this brings some things into perspective. This is an alignment issue. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.